Welcome to the Cashing Out Podcast, where our fellow founders share real stories and offer honest advice around selling their companies to some of the top acquirers in the world. My name is Todd Sullivan, CEO of ExitWise, where we help business owners create the exits they deserve. Today, I have a fantastic guest, Shannon Wilburn, who is co-founder, CEO, and today is a board member of the franchise sensation, Just Between Friends. Shannon started her career as a fifth grade elementary school teacher, but as a pastor's wife in need of more income, she pivoted into the life of entrepreneurship. In 1997, Shannon and her co-founder opened their first children's and maternity consignment event in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They successfully grew their single location business, and in 2003, they decided to begin selling franchises of their concept all across the country. Over the next 20 years, Shannon and her team built the Just Between Friends franchise to 31 states with more than 151 locations. In 2022, Just Between Friends system-wide revenue surpassed $41 million. Like for many entrepreneurs, the pandemic brought on a variety of business and personal challenges. So when Shannon was approached to be purchased by her largest franchisee, she knew it was time to sell her business. Today, Shannon and I talk about her unanticipated start as an entrepreneur, the challenges she faced along the way, and her foresight to constantly surround herself with experts and advisors at each step of her entrepreneurial journey. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shannon Wilburn. So Shannon, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you because your your story, the background is really inspirational, right? You're this entrepreneur, I don't know if you say by accident, but I say almost by necessity, right? You're solving a personal problem. And what I really loved about it, hearing the story the first time, is that you tied kind of personal passion and purpose into this company. You are solving real world problems for lots of people. At the beginning, maybe it's just a couple of people, and that has grown to a $40 million business, but really helping families all over the United States, right? And and as a fellow founder, I get goosebumps hearing this story. And and then my partner said at one point that you didn't think you were your business was big enough to be on cashing out, right? And it's not about the size. You built in a phenomenal business. It's about the impact we as entrepreneurs have in the ecosystems that we participate in. And our podcast is really about telling your story so others can learn about how you grew and how you exited. So, you know, thank you for agreeing to be on. And and last thing I will say is, you know, Mark Cuban had this spot booked, but when I had the chance to drop you in, I was like, no problem. You're up. So thank you for being here. Poor Mark Cuban. He just (laughs) bumped. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I think maybe a good place to start usually is how we know each other. And and frankly, like we didn't know each other. We got a chance to chat last week to hear your story and just felt it was so perfect that we had to have you on, you know, really quickly. So maybe you could take us back and, and tell your story from, you know, what started your company and and give the, the reveal, the name, all of it. Uh, and then we can jump into yeah. how it grew and, and then how you exited. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, my company's name is Just Between Friends. And it's funny because I always, whenever I'm at conventions or conferences and I'm speaking to men in particular, they get really excited when I say Just Between Friends. And then I was like, no, it's not what you think. It's not, it's just lunch or any, it's, I was like, you're going to be disappointed. It's a chill, it's a marketplace for families to buy and sell gently used children's and maternity clothes, toys, and baby equipment. And then they go, oh, okay. And then they're not interested anymore. So uh, yeah, but um Uh, I started just between friends um, in 1997 and I even, I feel like I need to go back um, a little bit further. Um, I have an identical twin sister and my, my sister and I were born uh, when my parents were in college. And so they were, you know, 21 when we were born and my dad was in college at Abilene Christian in West Texas. And he went on to get his CPA and work in the oil and gas business. And at the age of 33, he was on the fast track to really, really great things. I look back and 
see where our life was when we were 12. And I'm like, it's, it's crazy how, what a storied life he had up until, up until that time, but we were 12 and he was diagnosed at that time with multiple sclerosis. And he went from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair Mm -hmm. at the age of 33 um, when he was climbing the corporate ladder and had just gotten stock options and was meeting with people like the Rockefellers and Ross Perot and our life changed. Mm -hmm. We went from a brand new custom home to brand new cars in the driveway to a rent house with a rental car and my mom went Mm -hmm. to work and um, started supporting us and our, our life our life changed drastically. That's where I was introduced to consignment because my dad being the CPA that he was, he put my sister and I on a um, clothing budget and we had this much money to spend. We could in a year, we could spend it all in January or we could budget Mm -hmm. it throughout the year. And so I knew if I was going to buy myself something that I wanted to stretch the dollar, and so that were that's where I got to know consignment. Uh, growing up, went to um, Abilene Christian myself. That's where I met my husband, who was a youth pastor. And I always say it's now marrying a pastor is not a vow of poverty, but close yeah. to it. <laughs> and um, so when we got married and had children, it was just normal for me to shop consignment. Sure. And so I continued that. Um, just that way of life of looking to find a bargain when I could for myself and for my children. I wanted to, my degree was elementary education and I wanted to be able to stay home with my kids. And my husband also wanted that for me. And so we were looking to try to do that. And so I told my mom at one point, if you ever hear of anything I can do from home, let me know. And she was the one who gave me the idea for Just Between Friends. There was something like Just Between Friends happening in Mm -hmm. Fort Worth, but this is back before small business had a presence on the internet. I think email had just come out. This was in 1997. And um, so she didn't have a lot of information. So I reached out to a friend of mine from church, Devin Tackett, and I told her about the idea. And she was like, can I do it with you? And, and she loved the idea. And I was like, sure. So that's how our partnership yep. formed. And um, we grew the, we started, started in Tulsa in 1997, um, grew it for six years, the two mm-hmm. of us. Then we started franchising. We still had the Tulsa business growing alongside the franchise yep. system. Uh, that was 2003. And then we reorganized the company in 2011. Uh, my business partner, Devin, took the Tulsa franchise as her 100% entity, and I took the franchise That's system. Yeah. And so, and then I got to have a successful exit, which is why we're talking today. So that's the, that's the gist. It's a phenomenal beginning um, of the story. And, and what I loved was, I think you were trying to solve a personal problem. The, the idea was there but could this be an actual business? You really didn't know, right? And so you put on the first event and people kept coming back to you. Hey, when are you going to do this again? Right. And then the light bulbs went on. That is exactly the story. It started in my living room. We convinced 17 of our friends to bring their gently used children's and maternity clothes to Mm -hmm. my house. And uh, Devin and I prepped everything. We got everything ready. We had it over a weekend. We knew it. We knew we did not want this to be a garage sale. And so it was indoors and we used my kitchen drawers as cash drawers and someone tried to buy my couch. Um, (laughs) But I made $150 and my business partner made $150. And you're exactly right. The the people that came said, when are you doing this again? And the, the sellers, because they were making... 60 to 70% on whatever they were selling. They wanted to know when we were doing it again. And the shoppers were saving 50 to 90% off retail. So they wanted to know when we were doing it again. And so we came up with the cadence of doing it seasonally. Um, and so that's that's how it started. You know, another thing that really struck me in our last conversation is, I think it sounds like maybe much like uh, myself and Brian, you're a little self-deprecating. You've obviously built something amazing. <laughs> um, but 
I think that probably benefited you because you talk about bringing expertise at each stage of growth. Um, you and Devin maybe making the decision to get advice from the outside. Can you talk a little bit of that as you you grew it? Because going from you know your living room to a forty million dollar business, there are a lot of stages uh, in there that require adjustment, expertise. Um, yeah, maybe you could talk about yeah. that. It's a it's a really good point, um, and I think it's when you go into doing anything that you have not done before. Mm-hmm it's smart to surround yourself with people who've been there and who've done it. Um, and I will tell you one, one thing, just when we started the franchise system, I look back and I, I'm kind of mad at myself cause I feel like we wasted four mm. years. We, um, we reached out, we only knew two people in franchising yeah. and one was a friend of a friend. And then um, another was someone who went to our church. And so we met with those two people and gleaned all of this great information. I mean, um, we drove to Dallas from, I live in Tulsa. So we drove the four hours to Dallas and met with someone who had exited his, his own franchise system successfully. The, the founder of CC's pizza. And, um, we, he gave us three hours and I took copious notes and then we were like, okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do, I mean, he told us all the stuff not to do. It was a great start, but had I known that there was an association in my industry where I could go and get so much help and information and, you know, um, where lots of the answers to the things that I was dealing Mm -hmm. with in my business were already Mm -hmm. solved. Um, and I just had to access the people. Um, I feel like we would have saved lots of money in those first four years of doing things wrong. And I feel like surrounding yourself with smart people is, it's a smart strategy because you can't obviously know everything. And my elementary education degree did not teach me Mm -hmm. business. Yeah, great answer. I think um, I equate that to uh, when you go to sell a business, what we do every day for typically for entrepreneurs, they've never done this before. And there is there are multiple ways to take your company to market and sell it. Um, and we have discovered a way to do that that really lowers that risk. Those four years you talk about that you lose, you lost and money that you lost, we see time and time again that these exit processes, these sales, they fail. And founders waste six months of their time, $50,000 in payments to investment banks that should never have been representing them in the first place. So yeah, surrounding yourself with true expertise in whatever you're trying to do, rather than trying to you know come up with it yourself, certainly can save time and money. I 100% agree. And oh, how I wish I would have known about your podcast uh, 18 months ago. Um, And I, yay, I made an, I had a successful transaction, successful exit, but you don't know where to look. And I think that's what has been so fun about listening to all of the other people that have been on the podcast already is I can, I can see myself in their story. And, um, and I'm and I'm thankful that this podcast is out there <laughs> because you're 100% right. We don't know how to do it. Well, thank yeah, thanks for sharing that, Shannon. Um, when let's go back a second. When you and Devin, it sounds like at some point did I get it right? Uh, 2011. When was the time when you decided you be the franchisor and I will run the business? Can you talk a little bit about? Um, that decision to say this business is getting really big and we have different skill sets, right? And we should make this move. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think a lot of people will face that with a Mm co-founder. It's not only um, levels of expertise, right? But it's what you want to do with your life. So maybe you could talk about, I don't want to call it a separation. You define it how how you see it. 
yeah, we, we called it a reorganization because we, we owned both. Okay. If I, if I was giving advice to someone starting a business right now, I would say, don't ever have a 50, 50 partner, uh, you know, ha give someone 51% because um, some of our decisions stalled because uh, we, no one was the final yeah. say. And so if you want me to get into that, I can, but um, I think, Growing, growing two businesses with the same person, Devin absolutely um, is is and was the detailed mm -hmm. person, and I was the big picture person, and so it worked really well in the um, in the franchise mm -hmm. um, because we had very specific things that we were going to do. Um, I was in charge of these things in the business and Devin was in charge of these things in the business. And so we were able to kind of stay within those guardrails. And that was really what made the, the Tulsa business grow. Okay. We both were working in our skill set. Um, and then when we started the franchise system, we were working together all the time. And I think looking back, we tried to delineate our the skills and delineate the tasks that we had to do for the company mm -hmm. um but i don't think we really put a lot of strategy behind it and i would suggest that people do that when you have a business partner make sure that you you're both working in your skills and um for the greater good of the company and we did that and so what happened was the tulsa business when we started the franchise system we thought that the Tulsa business had capped out in its gross okay. revenues. We're like, okay, we think we're the biggest children's consignment event in the industry. There was no data out there sure. proving that. It, we just felt like we were like, there's no way we can get bigger than this. This yeah. is crazy. I think we were doing maybe $180,000 events at okay. the time. And, um, and then that was, that was when we thought we need a franchise that was in, kind of the beginning of 97. And then in the fall of 97, after we had made the decision to franchise, I think that next event we did 220,000 in, you know, six days wow. or whatever. And um, so we're, we are, you know, we've gotten to the point where we think there's no way we will ever do more than okay. this. And so let's go ahead. We had had people coming to us saying, you know, we'd like to buy a franchise. And I'm like, what the heck? I don't even know what a franchise, what's yeah, a franchise. Yeah. And um, I had a friend of mine ask me, is your, you know, is your Tulsa business profitable? Yes. We had helped other people get started in other areas. So we had basically um, given away intellectual sure. property. Of course, I knew nothing. I didn't know any of these terms yep. at the time. And so we were proving the concept. I didn't know what that meant. Um, in other states. And so it looked like we were operating as a franchise. Okay. They were using your brand as well. So they have yeah. your playbook and your brand. So you, at least you got you got to see, right? By helping others, you got to see if it could work without the two of you running the ship, right? Yep. That's interesting. And honestly, they were contributing to the brand sure. at the time as well. Because if if we would give away, of course, this is how we get consigners. This is how we get shoppers. This is how you do your marketing. This is, yep. oh, I mean, anything we knew we were gladly sharing it, but it became yep. overwhelming because <laughs> we were on the phone all the time. This is how you do this. This is how you do. And so someone was helping me. Like he said, you should yep. franchise. And I was like, what does that even mean? I went and left his office and bought the book franchising for dummies. Um, so read that from cover to cover. And that was really in 1997 when we said, okay, we did a lot of praying. Okay, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and start this. And again, thinking we're capped out with the Tulsa business, let's start this as our next endeavor. Um, let's do it. So we um, in 2004 we started selling franchises, mm -hmm. and we did that um, and together um, until 2011. So if you'll remember 2008 2009, um, the Great Recession yeah. uh, was really good for okay. us. <laughs> Um, because we're in a recession proof sure. business when people aren't it, clothing for your kids is not discretionary. Um, and when we're helping people save 50 to 90% off retail, we just had lots of leads, lots of people wanting to buy a franchise and the Tulsa business was growing. So 
from 1997 to 2003, we grew the Tulsa business. From 2003 to 2011, we grew both sure, businesses sure. together. And um, when I left the Tulsa franchise in 2011, the Tulsa franchise was doing 1.4 million wow. in a year. My gosh. Yeah. And, um, and it was, we, what we were doing, and this sounds horrible to say, and any of my franchising friends, when they hear this, they will be like, oh, it'll probably make them oh. nauseous, but we were ignoring our franchisees. Mm -hmm. If I'm just being yeah. honest, while we were running our own sure. business, the point of having a franchise system is to have highly satisfied, profitable <laughs> franchisees. Yeah. Guess what doesn't happen when you're ignoring yeah. them? <laughs> They're not highly satisfied. Um, and so we decided this, the Tulsa business had gotten so mm -hmm. big and was taking so much time, effort and needed focus. And the franchise system was also growing at a significant rate because um, the recession. Yeah. And we felt like we, we can't ignore our sure. franchise owners. That's not going to help anyone. And so someone has to have a focus. So we decided to reorganize the company. And I worked with a um, an advisor, I will say a mentor at my church who had has made multiple exits yep. himself. And um, he and I said, how do you how do you yep. do this? You know, and he suggested because we had two business together and we had just done evaluation the year before, yeah. uh, not thinking we were going to do have any exits or any reorganization or anything. We had just done it to see how much are our businesses that's worth. Just you want to know. Can I stop you just for one second? So that's just a really yeah. valuable point. A lot of businesses want to know, you know, what are we worth? Because it helps you make decisions, right? Where are you going to spend yep. time? What can really grow your, your enterprise value or your valuation? So something... Yeah. Uh, made you decide that you wanted to get a valuation. What, what, do you remember what that yep. was specifically? Was it a tax purpose or legal purpose? I don't know. I, I don't think it was a tax. I think it was just curiosity. Okay. It was, what are, what yep. are we worth? You know? And, and um, so, and I did. Sorry, how did you go about uh, doing the valuation? Who did that for you? It sounds silly now because I I have so much I don't have a ton of financial acumen. Yep. Again, I have lots of people around me who are very smart on the financial side of the business, um, but I really had zero financial acumen at that point. Um, and so I just started asking around, like, where do you get a valuation done? And our uh, CPA, um, his firm did valuations. And okay. so that's, that's what we did. Okay. And it, because I went through that, what it taught me was, okay, these are the levers that matter mm -hmm. before then it was how much money do I have in my bank account? Right. That was, it was all about cash. Sure. It was, there was no strategy. I don't even think we were budgeting. Like that's how little financial acumen uh, we started budgeting. So anyway, I've learned so much and you talked about being an accidental entrepreneur. I, that's when I speak, um, at conventions or conferences or whatever, if, if they don't really care what I'm speaking about, my title of my speech is lessons from an accidental entrepreneur, because there's so much learning, of course, that goes on in 25 years of business. Yeah. And so anyway, back to, back to the story we, we've, um, we separated the, um, the companies were already separate entities. They were, they were already separate entities. So that was helpful. And, um, my advisor from church, I said, how do you, how do you do this? And he said, let's put the pie together. You split the pie mm -hmm. and let her choose what she wants. Huh. And having a twin sister that really resonated with me because, um, I had done that my whole life with my twin sister. Here's one piece of cake. Yeah. Your piece is bigger than my piece, yeah. you know? And yeah. um, so I had had experience saying, I'm going to cut it and you pick the first piece because you want to make it fair. Mm -hmm. You want to make it as fair as possible because 
if she chooses this piece, I have to be okay with this piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if she chooses this piece, I have to be okay with this piece. Yeah. So let's make it as fair as possible. So I did the cutting and then she did the choosing. And she chose the Tulsa business, which was absolutely the smartest financial decision at the time. Yes. <laughs> it was 100% the smartest financial decision. But it also sounds like it was the, the smart decision based on skill set. Right. You were able to yeah. see the big v- vision of uh, the franchise model, support a lot of people. Right. It sounds like to me that you would be very supportive of all of these uh, franchisees where she in, on the detail side of it could manage a, a, a growing franchise really well. So to me, that right. logically sounds right. Let me just try to address one thing, because the, the problem that you face with 50 50 partners is is certainly not unique. And I, I, I tend to agree with you that. Uh, partnership starting at 50-50, that can be problematic unless you're outlining that in an operating agreement to decide how those ties get broken. And, you know, you can have some mechanism, you can have a board of directors, right? There are a lot of ways um, around that if you you have the foresight. And so I have learned all of this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that in the beginning, but anyway. Well, the other thing that you said around valuation, which to me, um, that's like that's your intuition saying, you know, what is this thing really worth? And then it allowed you to put, potentially split that pie, right? You had a better understanding of what the business was worth. The comment I like was, it's not just about what goes into the bank account, right? It's not the revenue. It's not necessarily the profitability. It's the levers that you mentioned, and that might be customer concentration. It might be uh, the technology that you're using. There's so many. Um, levers that if you understand, oh, that's not a good thing. Oh, recurring revenue is really, really valuable. Just having that um, valuation and getting to know the levers that you can pull to improve your valuation in the future is enormously valuable. Um, We work pretty closely with clients on trying to figure that out. And for us, our experts, our industry specialized M&A experts or investment bankers, they're the ones that understand valuation really well in their specific industries. And those valuations change. They can change on a quarterly basis, right? The world we live in, the swings left and right or, or up and down are, are significant. So I appreciate you you bringing that up. There's so many things that can really affect uh, valuation. And if you're operating yeah. co- a company, you want to know what those are. I'll tell you, Todd, like, I feel like that was the very first time where I started to have an understanding of um, EBITDA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and again, I have lots of people that are financially savvy around me now, but I knew um, that I didn't that the financial, the financials of the business were going to be the thing that mattered. Mm -hmm. And so not only did, did it matter for me, but we also started teaching our franchisees about money and about the financials, because I'm not the only one that comes into a business, not understanding, um, you know, what a P and L is. I think there's lots of people who start a business because there's a need and they, they don't understand. And so I'm, again, I'm, I'm thankful for expertise and advisors that have surrounded me uh, through this process. You know, it brings me back, Shannon, to you were trained as an educator, right? And that's what the franchise model is about, right? You're giving back to every franchisee that education, what you learned, and you talk about finance. A lot of people get into business and they really don't understand how much the financials matter. You can get that product market fit, but if the economics are not working, that business is not going to survive or thrive. So you yeah. giving that back after learning it yourself, I mean, that's incredibly valuable. It's it's largely, I bet that's a big reason why the businesses continue to be successful. Well, and I and I feel just a little bit sad that I didn't know it earlier, mm-hmm. you know, because of because we've had some franchises fail. I mean, we've had failures within just between friends. I, 
In fact, when I tell the Just Between Friends story to franchisees, I talk about 2010 and I called 2010 the year of austerity Mm -hmm. um, because it was sold 30 franchises in 2009 in the Great Recession because everyone's leaving corporate America and they're looking to take back their life. And um, I didn't understand, oh, we have to support them and they're not in business yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so... We, you know, we're doing all these trainings, we were having to hire people and we didn't have the cash flow to support it. And yep. so I'm, so I had an advisor say, you tell people don't buy a paperclip without your, without your yes. Okay. <laughs> and it was, we called 2010 the year of austerity because we were like, we have no money to spend. And if we're going to stay in business, this is it. You got to figure so, it out. Yep. We figured it out. So, all right. So you've had essentially the first exit, right? Where you split the company up. Um, and it sounds like valuation was a big part of that. And and yep. then you're splitting the pie, letting your partner choose. And now you're kind of yep. off and running, obviously supporting each other because you're in, you still have the same brand. Yep. Um, yep. But you continue to build the franchise model and right. what happened that made you decide this is the right time to consider an exit of that side of the business? You know, I think um, being a part of the International Franchise Association, they have done a really great job of educating franchisors on exits. And of course, there's lots of money out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have private equity knocking on the door. You have other people calling you saying, you know, have you ever considered selling your business? And oh, Shannon, I want to introduce you to my friend who helps people sell their business. And, you know, it's just, it is, um, that has been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, I was concentrating on growth from 2011. I was like, we're going to grow. We're, (laughs) you know, in my mind, I thought, and this probably sounds so silly to say, but I was like, I, I'm going to be ready to sell my business when I'm 57. Who okay. knows where that number came from? Sure. I mean, it was just an irrelevant number that I just pulled out of the air. <laughs> so who knows where that came from? But um, I thought I'll be ready to sell my business when I'm 57. And I had a great advisor again tell me at one point, Shannon, you always need to be ready to sell your business in five years. And okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, you need to make sure that your contracts are in order. You make make sure that your PL is in order, make sure that your taxes are in order. Like all of the stuff that people are gonna care about. Mm-hmm. Make sure that this stuff is in order because if even if you wanted to sell, if that stuff is not in order, you're not gonna have the chance. Yeah. Um, and so I had heard that and with all of the education that happens, there's always a panel on private equity at our franchise conventions. There's always a panel on how do you exit. They do a great job of educating franchisors on how to exit. Um, And then I had, I just, I just made myself a student, honestly, Todd, of how do you do this? Yeah. And uh, there's so much to learn. And again, I wish your podcast would have been around when I was in that really deep education um, because it would have it would have really helped me. I probably would have done some things differently. Yeah. Just the things I've learned just listening to your podcast. And biggest thing that changed my perspective. um, Mm -hmm. Another piece of advice I got is you should always have someone in your back pocket that you would like to sell your business to. Interesting. Yeah. So it was really the two things, it sounds like. One was at some stage of life, you want, you're thinking, okay, that's going to trigger the exit. And then you're getting advice, okay, always have your house in order in case somebody comes knocking on the door, right? And yes. I think that really does make make a lot of sense, particularly on the financial side, right? When you said contracts, that makes me think of a lot of engagements that we have where you know, if you're signing five-year contracts or two-year contracts, those contracts are worth more if they've just been signed and there's a lot of runway to them. Contracts that are going to expire and somebody saying, I want to get out, right? It's much better off that you would go and renew that contract to build value into your business. 
So yeah, there are a lot of things you can do to keep your house in order. So when you de- if you decide to sell, right, it makes it easier for you, easier for for buyers. Okay, so now you're you're going into an exit process. Does that mean that you surrounded yourself with, you know, expert M and A professionals, or did you have inbound interest? What really started the ball rolling for you? So what started the ball rolling uh, was, I, I would say, two twofold. Um, my husband. Um, who's the senior preaching minister at our church? He um, he developed COVID back before vaccines, back before the medicine was out there, and he had pre-existing conditions. He's a he has had cancer two different times and has four autoimmune diseases. But if you met my husband, you would not think he was sickly. Yeah. He is vibrant. He is not a complainer. He's awesome, and um, but he knew if he got COVID it was not going to be good. And, um, we, we, we were safe until October of 2020 when he, um, started running a fever and started wheezing and we're like, okay, you have COVID. And he did. Um, and within three days he was in the hospital Mm -hmm. and for the next 48 days, he stayed in the hospital and he was actually intubated two different times. Uh, for a total of 17 days. And he flatlined once I was in the room when that happened. And it, that is probably going through that um, of almost losing your husband Mm -hmm. was, I would say that that was the biggest motivator Mm -hmm. for me to exit. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people had loved ones pass away and, you know, of COVID. And um, I think I was envisioning myself um, sitting on on my couch in my house by myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when the Lord allowed him to live, um, it had me really looking at my future and what do I want? Where do I want to spend my time Mm -hmm. for the next 20 years? Do I want to be as busy as I am right now and traveling all over and being in charge and having the the responsibility of this and always being needed? Or could I have an exit right now and figure out a way to spend more time with him. And um, I didn't know that someone was going to reach out to me and say, hey, I want to buy your business. (laughs) But that happened. It was just really good timing that somebody Mm -hmm. knocked on the door. Yeah, I think um, health issues, it is just not uncommon that that is what drives the outcome, Um, particularly in partnerships. um, We see that you know, all the time. I think a lot of times we encourage our entrepreneurs to really talk with wealth managers to decide what is the right number for them at any given point in their lives to say, hey, I can retire, I can buy another business, I can put my kids through school. And when you know that the valuation of your business is above that number, post-tax, right, your personal number, then, you know, being open to exiting can make a lot of sense to just, as you put it, be able to spend your time exactly the way you want to spend your time. You're going to hear me. I'm going to feel like a broken record, but I'm going to say surround yourself with smart people. (laughs) And um, I'm going to say surround yourself with smart people because yes, we did that. We have a financial advisor, of course. And so I knew what that number was. Good for you. And, you know, thank I'm so thankful to to have these people who speak into me yep. um, the things that I need to know at the right time. Yep. And um, so, yes, I did have a number. And so when my, my largest multi-unit franchisee approached me, yep. um, very casually uh, said, we had a meeting every six weeks just to keep the lines of communication open because she was my number one franchisee. And yep. so I already 
valued her, knew her influence, knew her leadership, and um, knew that she had what it would take. And when she reached out to me and said, hey, Shannon, if you're ever, you know, thinking about selling the business, I would be interested. That's fantastic. Yep. And she had been, she had been working with a coach because she knew Mm -hmm. that this was something that she wanted. And her coach was the one who said, you got to ask, you got to tell her you're interested. And so again, surrounding yourself with people who can give you good advice when you need it. I think, you know, also a lot of the exits that we see, the buyer tends to already know uh, the seller in some capacity, whether it's through, you know, a working relationship or a personal relationship. So it's really important in, in business that you are constantly reaching out, creating those kind of strategic partnerships that give people a view not only into your business and how valuable it could be, but also the fit side of it, right? So you instantly knew this is the right person. Uh, I'm sure if if you can get the numbers, right? That was the key. (laughs) But but what you've done, right, is if you've built kind of both sides of the scale, you know who the perfect buyer is and you have your number in mind and then you've got your valuation to kind of substantiate yourself in a a negotiation. I mean, that's really ideal to go in understanding those three things. Uh, That's really the makings of of a great exit. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, I'll tell you, we did not, when she approached me, I, um, I said, thank you. I'm flattered. I'm humbled. I'm honored that you would want to, you know, lead just between friends. And I absolutely, um, believe that you can, but I said, we've just been through COVID and we're an event-based business where people gather. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we didn't go out of business during COVID was a testimony to, again, um, our franchisees' hard work and innovation. And I think just having all of that brain power to help get us through mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, PPP loans for people. And that was, that was awesome. But I knew that our valuation would take a hit. Mm-hmm. And then 2020, like 2019, we had a great year. 2020, we uh, were 40% down. Mm-hmm. And 2021, I call it our recovery year. Okay. Um, and so I knew, I, I told her, in fact, I said, our numbers are not going to reflect the value mm-hmm. of, I just, I knew it because mm-hmm. I'm, because I'm, of course, have been through the valuation process before. And I'm like, so I don't, I don't really feel like we're going to be able to come to an agreement, but let's keep talking. The process of having this conversation with her and her team, um, it was lots of back and forth, lots of back and forth. And we thought we had um, an agreement at one point, and it turned out that we did not have an agreement. <laughs> um, and she came back and she said, and this was before because we we didn't have a new valuation. Mm-hmm. And she said, would you mind if we do a, another valuation? And I'm like, no, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so we got another valuation done and my exit number was 30% less than the valuation came back. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, um, what do you so think I you were, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what do you think yeah. you were missing in that second valuation? What were you not putting enough value on? Probably the multiples that you get for a recurring revenue business. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I know the multiples are crazy in franchising, mm-hmm. but you you, I think for me, I didn't know that that would be us, okay. right? And okay. I'm probably trying to, um, you know, look at my friends in franchising, and because lots of the deals that are done in franchising, of course, are private, and mm-hmm. so they're not out there for the public to know what multiple did you get. Um, but you you hear enough talk, and you go to enough panels, and you have friends who have been through acquisition or uh, of some sort, and so you know okay, they're getting really good multiples. Yeah. And then you're like, but I honestly, because I thought COVID was going to kill us, yeah. <laughs> kill our valuation. Sure, sure. And yeah, 
So okay, yeah, that's good. I, we we see a lot of buyers will give that single year a pass that the COVID year. Um, and try to look one year behind and one year forward and make sure that you're not getting a COVID bump, like that's all sustainable. Um, so yeah. that that makes some sense. So, but now the buyer's got to be a little bit shocked, right? If you guys were not quite seeing eye to eye on a 30% below valuation, that, right. that had to be a shock, but somehow you've been able to negotiate it and pull it off. How did that happen? And I have not asked the buyer about this, but... You know, there's a sense of, okay, it's worth it. Right. When someone else says it's worth it. And then of course I negotiated, she, she, because she was an insider, she knew, okay, we need to take some off for this and we need to take some off for this. And I was of course willing to do that Mm -hmm. because the valuation was higher than I thought. And I didn't need all of that. Um, and this was back, we grew 20, we grew 23% this year in 2022, we grew 23% and the valuation was done of course on 2021 and 20, you know, so, um, it felt really good from a selling standpoint to know that I was setting her up for success, if that makes sense. No, it does. It really does. I think one of the hardest things in in selling your business is to keep it growing, right? So yeah, you're selling to somebody that's a perfect fit. You're getting the number that you want. Um, This is a legacy, right? Why would you not want this person to have incredible success and see that brand that you built really succeed? But that that is tough to sell a business and keep it growing another 23%. That's fantastic. She's very well loved yeah. by our franchise owners great. already. And so that was, you know, wow. I feel like I kind of got a unicorn. Yeah, that's great that all those things kind of fell in place. But I think you really did manufacture that yourself, whether you were knew it or not, bringing <laughs> all of that. Well, I think it comes from you weren't afraid to ask, right? Whether it's valuation um, or how do we grow this business by separating it out? It seems like every challenge that you ran into, you were able to kind of leap over that wall. And maybe it was the help of, of people um, that had more knowledge about the subject than you at the time. Uh, but, but you pulled it all together. Yeah. Well, I will tell you in 20, this was a part of the story that I didn't, haven't talked about yet, but in 2016, having an elementary education background and growing the company until 2016, I felt like I was getting to the end of my knowledge base Mm -hmm. of how I can grow from here. Like what else do we need? I'm weak in this. I'm weak in this. I'm weak in this. I'm, I can lead well in this, this, and this. Okay. I need people to come into my brand who are strong in my areas of weakness. And, uh, but we didn't have, the we didn't have the need or the revenue to hire those caliber of people um and so um i created an advisory board oh good for you and got this amazing amazing not a fiduciary board because i still owned 100 percent, but i wanted their expertise i wanted them to speak into the business with their expertise at the time that we needed and when Um, when I was going through this process of, you know, the due diligence process and just, should I sell? What should I sell for? Um, how does this work? I went to those people and let them in on it. And they were there at the ready to, I think four of my five advisors have been through multiple M&As, you know, it's, yeah. So it was super helpful to have that expertise. Uh, Shannon, I think that's gold um, for for a lot of founders, right? You don't necessarily have to hire these people, but finding the experts in different areas of your business and creating a kind of a formal advisory board, having people on your team that are really rooting for you. Yeah. Uh, man, it's obviously, it, it has paid dividends for you and you obviously leverage that really, really well. So congratulations. So what's, you know, what's next? What What's up for you moving forward? Starting another business? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, probably. I just can't help myself. So 
Um, so I have another business that I'm running right now that my husband and I have been doing since 2018 mm-hmm. uh, here in Tulsa. It's a small business. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that, but that really only takes three to four hours a week. I am currently coaching six people. So I'll probably formalize that a little bit. That's great. Um, yeah. And I'm waiting on revelation for that. Like, okay, what am I going to do? Because neither of those things take, you know, the amount of time. I'm a grandmother now and people think, oh, you're going to, you're going to go be a grandmother. And I'm like, I know there's two things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sit at home and twiddle my thumbs. And I'm not going to be a full-time grandmother because my grandkids do not live here. They live in other cities. And so if they were local, maybe that would be something that I would get to choose, but it's not. And I, and I'm 52. um, So it kind of excites me. Okay. What's next? What, what do I get to go be a part of now to change the world? You know, I definitely want it to be something with purpose. Well, that the coaching sounds like it is right up your alley. So many people can learn from your experience. And I feel like when you don't know the answer, you know how to go out and get the answer, right? That is that is remarkable. And if you can share that with more people, uh, I'm sure that's going to be incredibly fulfilling. And, and you know, I've just finished with, you know, for us, that is largely our purpose. I am 52 as well. And when we started ExitWise, it was really rebrand of a firm that was just selling businesses. But ExitWise, the wise part is about education. And that's what we lead with. We want people to really understand that you can create the exit that you deserve. You know, if you go out and ask and surround yourself with the right people, you're like the perfect example of that. So I hope that, you know, really continues. If people wanted your coaching, where where would they reach you? How do they how do they get a hold of you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. So Shannon Wilburn on LinkedIn. Um, also, you can email me. I'm still working with the brand for three years and advising. And I have I have my job description of I'm, my new titles, brand ambassador. Um, and of course, I love doing that. But you're welcome to email me at Shannon at JBFSale.com. So that stands for Just Between Friends, JBF sale.com. That's great. Shannon, I really appreciate you taking all of this time. This has been really fun. And I think, you know, there are so many little stories in there. I hope people can kind of grasp it all, but there's a lot to learn from your story. So I really appreciate you sharing it. Well, thank you for asking. This has been, I'm, I have so many friends who are business owners and they don't know how to exit. Mm -hmm. So it gives me great pleasure now to say, you have to go listen to this podcast. You have to get to know these guys because um, just to know that someone is out there and because I've had an exit, um, your live to launch another day. I feel like that should be what every entrepreneur gets to do. And, but unfortunately some people don't, they don't know how to do it. And so again, I'm super thankful for your podcast. And thank you for allowing me to tell my story. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to the Cashing Out Podcast. For more founder exit stories, please subscribe to the Cashing Out Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please remember, ExitWise.com and the Cashing Out Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. This should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. 